Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Have you listened to our All the Books podcast yet? On All the Books, Book Riot resident Velocireader Liberty Hardy and several rotating co-hosts discuss the week's most exciting and intriguing new book releases from every genre. Stay up to date on the best new books with new episodes every Tuesday and get bonus recommendations for older books every Friday with the all the backlist drop-in episodes. Never miss the buzz on the best new releases. Listen to all the books on Spotify or your podcatcher of choice. That's all the books. Go check it out. This is the Book Riot Podcast. It is a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. It's really a talk show about news more than anything. Mm-hmm. This is episode 316, and I'm still on the fly amending the header text 316 episodes in. We're on we're Friday, June 7th, 2019. I'm Jeff O'Neill here with Rebecca Shinsky. We're coming to you metaphorically from bookriot.com. Hello. We woke up today to suddenly a huge news week. Big deal. Huge news week. Um, one of the biggest we've had I'm trying to think of a bigger one we've had. I guess Nobel Prize stuff getting canceled. That mm-hmm. was pretty big news. Um, what what the have been there? Was... I'm trying to think of the other big news stories. Oh, well, that there was going to be a new Harper Lee book. Um, That's a big one. Yeah, yeah, that happened. I wasn't. I was out that week, I remember, mm-hmm. when that happened. I heard you and Amanda talk about it. Penguin Random House mm-hmm. combining was in the early days of this yeah. show. Um, that was big news. It did but, seem like a big deal. I don't know if this is the end or the beginning of a Barnes and Noble story. Well, that's what we talk about. That's what we call a hook in, in the business <laughs> here. But but for now, we're going to do a first sponsor because we do have big stories to get to. So let's do the first sponsor, Rebecca. Yeah, our first sponsor this week is This Time Will Be Different by Misa Suguria. Uh, This is coming from Epic Reads. CJ has never lived up to her mom's ambition, and she's perfectly happy just helping her Aunt Hannah at their family's flower shop. She doesn't buy into Hannah's ideas about flowers and their hidden meanings, but when it comes to floral arrangement, CJ discovers a skill that she can be proud of. Then her mom decides to sell the shop to the family who swindled CJ's grandparents when Japanese Americans were sent to internment camps during World War II. Soon a rift threatens to splinter CJ's family, friends, and their entire community. And for the first time ever, CJ has found something she wants to fight for. This is a fresh and moving novel about a girl who takes a stand when her family history and activism in her community collide. It's a must read that asks important questions about race, family, identity, and history, but it's interwoven with wit, romance, and the heartwarming magic of flowers. So it's perfect for fans of To All the Boys I've loved before and love Simon. This time will be different is available now wherever books and audiobooks are sold. So thanks to This Time Will Be Different by Misa Sug it's Sugiura, I think. S-U-G-I-U-R-A. All right. Barnes and Noble acquired. Ring the bells. Woo! Release the doves. I was just like casually, very sleepily sitting on my couch this morning while Bob was watching CNBC as financial mm-hmm. advisors do at seven o'clock in the morning. And this came on screen and I was yes. like, wait, what? I'm awake wait, what, now. What, what, what? 
Barnes and Noble. What? So here we go. This is the details. I'd like to say I'm proud of us because we pegged this acquirer, even though we didn't really know the name of the company pretty <laughs> early, or uh, or as, at least as we were floating book retailers, um, being acquired in an all-cash deal by, oh, now the New York Times has given me my, we would really like you to sign up for stuff, to do stuff. Um, Elliott Management. Elliott Management, which is a private equity firm, also owns Waterston's. We call it Waterstones here in the U.S. I think that the Brits call it Waterstones. Hmm. Um, or maybe they pronounce it aluminium. I'm not sure exactly how you say it over there in the U.K., um, but it is the parent private equity firm that owns the, the venerable um, U.K. bookstore. Interesting. A couple, that's fascinating. Some of the details are really interesting. Um, the value of the deal, so the, the offering six fifty per share which makes the value of the deal about $476 million. That was the initial report um, I saw on CNN this morning that it's actually going to be closer to $624 yes. billion or something mm-hmm. like that. Or billion. That would million. be a lot more. Million. Um, <laughs> which represents a premium over the existing stock prices. These things happen. For context, in 2006, Barnes & Noble's share price was $30 a share. So that's something to keep in mind. <laughs> and one of the reasons I think this is, was attractive to Barnes & Noble is to get off the public markets because they're just getting hammered mm-hmm. um, because people are comparing this, them to Amazon, rightly, wrongly, but certainly understandably. Um, they're not, they are and aren't in the same business. Um, interestingly, if you break it down by store, like how much is the um, company paying for on a per store basis, it's only like a million dollars per store mm-hmm. uh, of the retail ones, not the, not even including some of the college stuff. So a pretty reasonable price at all, uh, a pretty reasonable price. The CEO um, that runs wa- the Waterston's part of the business um, for the hedge f- or for the private equity firm is moving to New York to run both yep. companies. James which tells, tells you something about the relative importance Maybe I mean some of it could be transitioning, getting moved over there, but um, that this person is moving over to the U, uh, the U.S. I think is is meaningfully too. Um, this takes Len Regio out. Yep. Um, I think also at the end of an era for sure. Um, we've long speculated about Regio's influence and then the quality of that influence uh, as it affects the company's fortunes. I don't know if it's good or bad that Regio's gone, but he's definitely gone. I, you know, Waterston's, I guess this makes Barnes & Noble part of a larger firm for sure that manages $34 billion in assets and mm-hmm. has a lot of different companies. So it's part of a larger ship, has different resources available to it, um, not only dependent on its own cash flow to stay in business necessarily. No no word at this point about plans. Are they going to well, rebrand these things? Are they going to open Barnes & Noble's over there? Are they going to open Waterston's over here? What is going to happen? We yeah. don't know. Yeah, I, I think, think all of that is interesting. So, Rebecca, that's, I think that's the, that's the overview of the, the nitty-gritty. What, yeah. what, what, what are you, you thinking know, today about this? You know, I think it's encouraging that they're going private first because you can do some more 
you can play around a little bit more perhaps when you're not on mm-hmm. the public market. Um, I think it's an opportunity to really bring in somebody that can do strategic thinking around um, how to tighten up the company, where to point the ship. Like we have spent literal years on this podcast talking about like, why is Barnes and Noble trying the things that they're trying? Mm-hmm. And it's interesting, not only that there are a lot of resources inside Elliott management and that, as you were saying, like they might be able to like Barnes and Noble might be able to access funds that aren't, direct products of Barnes and Noble um, in this case, but that the management that the firm has experience with book retail, I think is critical. Um, I don't know how different or similar book retail in the UK is from what's going on over here, but like Barnes and Noble's physical retail spaces have undergone a lot of changes in the last five, 10 years. And not all of those have worked in their favor. Very few of them have. We've seen them conduct a lot of experiments, like adding restaurants, like full service restaurants to some places. What are they doing with sidelines? What are they doing with, you know, games and all sorts of things. And like seeing a company that's already really dealt with a large bookstore chain and what they're going to do um, with Barnes and Noble. I think there's a lot of interesting possibility there. I think Waterston's is perhaps a little bit higher end or perceived to be a little bit higher end than Barnes and Noble is perceived to be. It does feel fancier. I mean, it's been a while since I've been to one, like 20 years, but even then I remember it feeling. Yeah. It'll be, I think also interesting to see like, will, uh, will going into a Barnes and Noble continue to feel about the same or are they going to give them sort of a lifestyle upgrade Mm -hmm into um, being similar to like the Indigo store that um, that we have heard about. And now that one of the listeners went and visited, I can't remember where it's located. Um, New Jersey somewhere, so, I think, yeah. if I remember so, right. Like, that, I think it's all it's all going to be interesting, especially Reggio being out. Um, maybe we'll get a sense of how much he or the existing board were holding up forward going like actual productive progress. Are they going to close some stores? Who knows? Are they going to open smaller ones or continue doing prototypes? Who knows? Um, But I'm happy to see this happen. I think it offers some hope for Barnes and Noble and the industry benefits from Barnes and Noble continuing to be open and successful. I think it's good for books and for readers if Mm -hmm. Barnes and Noble continues to exist. And we care about both of those angles. So from that perspective, I feel good about it. Um, And we were speculating offline that maybe the only other thing that would have been more interesting or would have made us more excited is like if Penguin Random House had bought it instead. (laughs) Right. For a variety of reasons. One is um, chaos. You know, that, I mean, in terms of a story, that's a heck of a story that mm-hmm. we could get months of content on this show out of for sure. But also, if you think of um, basically there's Amazon on one side and everyone else in publishing on the other, which I think is a very simplify oversimplification, but also mm-hmm. maybe not entirely wrong way of thinking about it, that the more consolidation of players on the other side of the wall, so to speak, might offer more resistance to Amazon's continued growth. And the growth isn't so important, but, you know, is it going to be a monopoly or a monopsony? Or will toxic things start happening, continue to happen, happen worse, depending on what you think about Amazon right now? Like, I think most people think it's not good if Amazon is it, but what is the alternative to that? I think if you're interested in that, today's a pretty good day for it. Mm -hmm. I think on the American side, it would be even more interesting if PRH had bought it. I don't know. The international stuff, the international element about this, I don't really have a good sense on. Like, Mm-mm. Does this give um, the combined stores, like all the Watersons and Barnes & Nobles together, even more bargaining power with publishers? Oh, um, interesting. Do they get sort of data that. and logistical <clears throat> synergies? Or I guess synergies is more brand or like 
there could be real efficiencies. Like that's an mm-hmm. actual thing, not synergies, which kind of isn't. Um, between them to operate more efficiently and more profitable. Uh, I, I don't know the answer to that. Does well, it matter that they're in two different countries or multiple countries? I don't know. Well, and given that um, copyright and publishing are different in the U.S. Yeah. and the U.K., like if you sell a book to Penguin Random House in the U.S., you could sell it also to Penguin Random House in the UK, but if they don't pick it up, you could sell it to HarperCollins in the UK. Like some authors have different publishers in different countries. So how that, how those deals then cross over between the different publishers and retailers in different countries is something I have no idea about. I do really wish it would have been fascinating to watch PRH do this, but like, because for years we've said that the most interesting thing Penguin Random House could do would be bail out from Amazon and just mm-hmm. open their own online bookstore. And the thing I would love to see them do is just open like buyyourbookshere.com and sell not just Penguin Random House books, but all books, right. you know, like right. be publisher agnostic in the way that any bookstore, like big major bookstore is publisher agnostic, but just compete with Amazon by not letting Amazon have access to your inventory. Um, But they're not going to do that. So the next best thing would be like buy up Amazon's competitor and Barnes and Noble is the most, the biggest, the most available, the best shot at sort of standing ground against um, what might be a monopoly, or at least there's going to be some eyeballs on Amazon as we're going to get to uh, later in the agenda. And I think you and I understand why not. I think we understand why PRH doesn't do that. Yeah, um, yeah. But I would be fascinated to hear PRH articulate the why not. Are we right about the why not? I, I don't know. Um, that they don't want to piss off other booksellers, that they, you know, there's, there's monopoly concerns. Like mm-hmm. PRH is a huge part, like more than 50% of the American trade market. If they didn't have the largest chain of physical bookstores, do you have some antitrust problems there? They're probably gun shy about antitrust stuff after buying Penguin than the, the ebook price fixing fiasco. I could see why they might be gun shy, but um, is that the reason or there's some other reason? Maybe they don't want to be in the business. Maybe they don't mind selling all the books to Amazon. Maybe they do all the work. You know, they still Mm -hmm. selling books there. I think, tell me if I'm wrong about this, if you are, if what you're hoping for was Barnes & Noble to continue largely as Barnes & Noble is, this is probably the best outcome you could have hoped for. Yeah, I think so. And Maybe even the possibility of Barnes & Noble continuing as a better version of itself. Yeah. Um, it would be right. nice to stop feeling like Barnes & Noble is circling the drain. Right. As a, a publicly traded company that stands alone, I think we were worried about um, falling into sort of a death spiral mm-hmm. uh, with Barnes & Noble. Um, if it's bought by a private equity firm that's not already in the bookselling business, then you worry about all sorts of things. Like, are they going to use it to offload debt? Do they not know what they're doing? Do they not going to shut it down? If they're bought by Amazon, like right. that's the craziest of all possible scenarios of this, that certainly is a different um, kind of thing. If it's bought by Walmart or a different kind of retailer, I think they would probably go in and change a lot about it. Mm-hmm. I think this probably gives Barnes & Noble the best chance to survive in a recognizable form for the foreseeable future. Um, I'm not sure if that's best for book selling or publishing or reader culture or whatever, but that does seem to me to be the outcome here. Um, uh, just to correct something I think I got, I screwed up a little while ago. Barnes & Noble had spun off its campus bookstores a few years ago into a separately publicly traded company, um, which is still publicly traded and independent, um, called Barnes & Noble Campus or something else like that. So it's not part of this particular deal. Uh, fascinating to see what's going on here. Uh, let us know what you think about this. Are you happy? Are you jazzed? You don't care? Podcast at bookwrite.com. Um, I also would be curious to know, I mean, I guess we can play guessing games 
for the next, you know, in the, in the intermediate future, so say three to five years, do we think there are going to be more Barnes & Nobles, fewer Barnes & Nobles, or just different Barnes mm. & Nobles? Like, what, if there's a delta, what are you betting on? I'm betting on fewer and that at least some of the remaining ones will be different. Will be, some, will be different somehow. Mm-hmm. Somehow, what do you some think? way. I don't know. I, I'm, I mean, I'm happy to guess just for guessing sake, but if I've actually put down a C note or something on this, if I had to bet on something, I'm guessing fewer and largely the same, Okay. I think, in three to five years. I think what would make sense is for Waterstones to use some of its operational know-how to streamline. They'll probably close some of the underperforming stores, though Barnes & Noble have been doing that for years. Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Will, will we get new? Well, if there's a new Barnes Noble opening in two years, will, will it be fancy? I guess is one yeah. question I don't have a great answer to. I don't either. I hope that they will be maybe not, maybe if not fancy, I mm. hope that there will be a little more polish, like more of a lifestyle feel right. to them rather than just big space that contains books and other things. Yeah. So the lifestyle feel more like the fancy handbags rather than the puzzle section. Right. Or maybe not even you know. fancy handbags, but like, I mean, we know from eight years of talking to people who love books about it. And I think anybody listening mm. to the show knows like being a reader, being a book person is a lifestyle. Like yeah, people think right. about it as a lifestyle. And so maybe not fancy handbags, but like it would be nice if walking into a Barnes and Noble felt like connecting with some part of your readerly identity in some way, rather than like, I'm here because this is a bookstore. And as a book person, I need books. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I was, I went into a Barnes and Noble last weekend, um, a big, good one and a upscale mall here in the Portland area. And I did have the moment of like, you're just walking into a whole bunch of books, right? Which is fine, except it's also not fine. Like there's something else that could happen there. And we've talked about this on annotated and other kinds of places. Watersons has definitely thought about that and done a lot of um, work in that area. But I think this is, I think this is a good day. I think someone who does this already sees potential in Barnes and Noble. And I think mm-hmm. that's ultimately a positive story for people who care about books in the U S yeah, at this point. I agree. All right. Um, Boy, I felt like we were going to say more about that, but we don't know enough. We just like the yeah, price. I mean, what else Lots do we know? Um, open questions. Yeah. Let us know what else you guys think uh, about it. Let me do another sponsor before we get into the next section of shows. It's Patsy. I did a read for this last week, and I didn't remember this was coming out until I did the read. Mm. It's um, Patsy by Nicole Dennis-Ben, and it's her new book. It's a beautiful layered portrait of motherhood, immigration, and the sacrifices we make in the name of love from the award winner, Nicole Dennis-Ben. Patsy gets her long-coveted visa to America and it comes after years of yearning to leave Pennyfield, the beautiful but impoverished Jamaican town where she was raised. Patsy wishes to be reunited with her friend Cicely, whose letters from New York promise a happier life and a possible rekindling of their young love. But Patsy's plans don't include her overzealous evangelical mother or even her five-year-old daughter, True. Patsy leaves True behind in a defiant act of self-preservation, but finds that Brooklyn is not as Cicely's treasured letters have described and to survive as an undocumented, undocumented immigrant, she is forced to work as a bathroom attendant and nanny. Meanwhile, her daughter True builds a faltering relationship with her father back in Jamaica, grappling with her own questions of identity and sexuality, and trying desperately to understand and empathize with her mother's decision. This is passionate, moving, and fiercely urgent. 
Patsy charts the geography of a hidden world, that of a paradise lost, in which one woman fights to discover her sense of self and the world that tries to define her. That's Patsy by Nicole Dennis-Ben. Go grab it. Um, okay. And specifically for Jeff and Rebecca News, we got several of these. <laughs> oh, man. Let's well, start with, uh, it's a, a podcast about podcasting is what we do now, apparently, apparently. on this show. Um, it's very our meta. discussions about podcast platforms and what show could get us to pay for a premium service on its own. We mentioned a Barack Obama, Marilyn Robinson podcast. That's not what this is, or maybe not. It's one step closer. It's one step closer. Um, President Barack Obama and Michelle Obama's production company, Higher Ground, has partnered with Spotify to produce exclusive podcasts, some of which will feature the voices of both Obamas. <laughs> so Higher Ground is forming an audio venture to steer the venture. So not only are they partnering with Spotify, they're also mm-hmm. building out a new part of their own company. Um, wow. The platform recently passed 100 million premium subscribers. This is Spotify. Mm-hmm. And 217 million monthly active users. We don't know anything about any of the shows. Nothing. Yeah. Um, I don't care. It doesn't matter. So here's this quote from President Obama about it. We've always believed in the value of entertaining, thought-provoking conversation. Maybe that conversation does tell us something. It helps us build connections with each other and open ourselves up to new ideas. We're excited about higher ground audio because podcasts offer an extraordinary opportunity to foster productive dialogue, making people smile, make people think, and hopefully bring us all a little closer together. I've got to say, we're going to get a Robinson Obama. It, it may not be an ongoing series, but we're going to get one. It needs one to episode. happen. It's going to happen. Once. I feel good about to. this. I feel good about the possibility of it too. I really do. Um, I was thinking about this last night, as one does mm-hmm. <laughs> when one cares about That's right. maybe getting an Obama Marilyn Robinson podcast. And I still, I have to say, like, I still don't know that this would make me pay for Spotify premium if I didn't already have there it Spotify is. We already premium. do, though. That's the difference. Both, exactly. of you, both of us do. I think that this is very similar to what we were talking about last week with Mindy Kaling signing on to do that exclusive mm-hmm. ebook for Kindle Prime, for Amazon Prime and Kindle. This is not user acquisition for Spotify. This is user retention. Like you like Spotify, you pay for premium. Like I have paid for Spotify premium for close to a decade, I think for as as long as it's existed. Um, And I will stay for a lot of reasons, but Spotify continues to develop features and give me reasons to continue giving them $10 a month or however many it is now. And Obama podcasts are one of them. I don't know that I would like to go get a luminary subscription if the Obamans were over there, I don't know that I'm going to join a new ecosystem, mm-hmm. but this is the best shot that someone would have at getting me to do it. Well, and here's the advantage Spotify has. There is a free level. Like you could yeah. go listen to this podcast for free and you have to listen to ads, I guess, to do it. But Luminary has cut off that top of the, the right. user acquisition mm-hmm. funnel by not having a, you know, gateway experience. Um, I, I just don't think there's, this is, I think this is awesome because if you want to go mm-hmm. listen to Obama interview Steph Curry or Toni Morrison or Beyonce, or you don't Gates have to subscribe. You can go reading. get it. Bill Gates, yeah, you don't have to pay. You can go listen to it. Download the free app. Whereas Luminary, you got to pay to get in at all, yeah. which seems really tough in this. Mm-hmm. And I would have loved to hear the bidding war between Luminary and Spotify for this. Oh, boy. That would be fascinating. You I know. mean, talk about being in the catbird seat. You know, President Obama... Michelle Obama coming off becoming being the best selling memoir of all time. Mm-hmm. Podcasts are dying 
for content. You are probably the most desirable single podcast host ever in the world. <laughs> and the market is white hot. I mean, geez Louise. Yeah. This is it's going to be so interesting. Like yeah. I'm not expecting Barack and Michelle to be hosting every episode. Um it does say that we'll get to hear them on it. They're going to be involved in the development of these shows, but we do know some things about like what kinds of culture they're interested in. And so like, there's mm -hmm. probably some, uh, I would say undoubtedly going to be some political and social stuff that happens. Very interesting. Also that this is going to be happening, like really going into a very hot and heavy election cycle. Um, interesting to see how political or not the content will be, yeah. but like they're both so deeply connected to culture, not just literary culture, but social and they both love music. And there's just so, like he's a huge reader as we know like there's there are so many interesting places this could go i think it would be great like if i got to like yearn for a specific kind of content here i think you know, I don't know if you've watched like Letterman's new series on Netflix. You know, I had that on my list. I never got around to it. But uh, I think it's really great. Mm. Like it's deep dive interviews and the questions are interesting. And it's like a different David Letterman than we knew before. Interesting guest. I loved the first um, season of it. The second one just dropped. I haven't started watching it yet. But like, I would love to listen to Barack Obama conduct those kinds of interviews. Yeah. He's such a thoughtful and Michelle as well. They're both so thoughtful and have such interesting perspectives, like to get them in conversation with people where the other people are kind of the point, like, yeah. you know, where it's not about necessarily just hearing the Obamas talk about things, but getting them engaged in discussion is going to be, I hope, I hope that's what we're going to get. And if that's what we get, it's going to be awesome. And they can get anyone they want. I mean, they, oh, yeah. they, there's not a there's not a person who would do podcasts, and and, and many that wouldn't that wouldn't say yes right. to the pitch. <laughs> right. This is like someone asks you to go on one of the Obamas shows, and it's like, okay, how? What do I need to do? Like, I will yeah. buy a podcasting microphone. I will build myself a new office. What do you need from me? <laughs> Counterpoint. Oh, Are, I mean, is it a home run? I mean, it feels like a home run. I just wonder if... Mm. I mean, it's a home run for Spotify. It's home run for Spotify, but I just wonder in terms of downloads, right? Does it immediately compete with the biggest podcast in the world or doesn't it? I just wonder about that. It depends on how it is, I guess, to some degree. I think it depends on how good of a job Spotify does in promoting it once yeah. it exists. And so like in-app discovery hmm. is going to be critical um i don't Can you get know, it in like, itunes will it right. be even available in itunes right like still the most people who consume podcasts are consuming them through apple podcasts yeah. um and that's important because most smartphone users are not iphone users mm. um so there's all there's that like disparate piece there too so you presumably get access to like all the android users as well if you're going with something that's not mm -hmm. you know just apple podcasts but i don't i don't know i think it's going to be it's, it has the best shot of competing with the big main pod, like the mainline podcasts that are available on all podcasts. Yeah, they're, ag they're ag platform agnostic, right? Yes, yes. Um, the, this is the best shot that uh, a single platform podcast has mm -hmm. of competing. But I don't know. I think it, it will really depend on Spotify getting people who use Spotify to go listen to the show. Okay. You, so the, we know this is happening. Now you can fan cast what you want one of these series. We don't know how many there are, how many mm. podcast series there are, mm -hmm. if they're one-offs. Are, you know, are they like the Spotify live albums where you get one conversation every now and again? What, you know, what is it? But like, put that all aside. We don't know what it is, so it can be anything in our dreams and wishes. Mm -hmm. 
what, let's say it's a series. Okay. What do you want? You get, you can have Barack, Michelle, both. What do you, what would you be most excited about being announced tomorrow? That is a specific show that comes out of this partnership. Can I have two? I'm, I'm going to make two wishes. It's always two things with you. Okay, fine. You can have two. <laughs> I'm going to have two wishes. Yeah. One is a um, like feminism and career show hosted okay. by Michelle with interesting get like women guests from all kinds of industries and walks of life. Mm-hmm. I want to hear them talk about work and about being a working woman and maybe take like listener questions too. Okay. Um, so it's with an advice component. I want that like inter- lessons from interesting people with great careers, but also some advice. And then I want Barack and Michelle to do a show about relationships. I want to mm. hear them like open up in a real way about their marriage and about relationships and family. I guess that would be, I guess knowing what we know about them, I just don't see that ha- opening up I, in a real way. I just don't see happening, but, but I can see why you want them. No, no, I'm saying yes, 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 yes. I understand that. <laughs> I'm yeah, acknowledging I don't that it's a dream happen. and that it probably won't happen. No, but Michelle time. does write about them going to couples therapy and becoming, and it's kind of great. Yeah, I'm, I'm, that, that would be great. I don't know what I would pick. I think I think I want Brock especially, I mean, has a different, I don't, I know less about how Michelle is interested in like big, big ideas. Um, mm. I don't have a good sense of her of that. She may not. She may be. She, I just haven't seen it. Got a frog in my throat now. But like Barack taking on a big idea and talking to someone who's an expert in that big idea for each episode, I think would be really interesting. Like today's mm. episode is on universal basic income with someone who's an, you know, an expert in that, where he can talk about his own idealism and philosophy, but also his, no one has a better sense than the reality of making a big idea like that actually happen. <laughs> than a former president. Right. Then like, right. what would, what, what screws would you have to turn into what wall to get something like that? He, he has an unparalleled view of the reality of implementing big ideas. Like I'd love to know what he thinks. What does he think about something I like, like electric scooters? Like that, that translates to it's transportation, it's startups, it's regulation, like something like that, or maybe take an object or like a new technology or something like that, where it's sort of a big idea, but then bring to bear his specific top level experience of like dealing with these big issues and policies. Yeah, I like that, like a Barack in Silicon Valley kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, whatever. Would be really yeah. interesting. Like, what does he think of streaming services? Like, what does he mm. think of, like, what does he think of, um, terror, like electric vehicle or, um, autonomous vehicle regulation. Like what would it actually take? Uh, here, here's go. I'm going to give you right now. It's called mm-hmm. pass the law with Barack Obama. And <laughs> he takes a law that someone's thinking about and explains how he would try to get it passed. How about that one? Oh, oh like inside political strategy. Yeah, right. Well, you got to deal with West Virginia because it's blah, blah, blah. You know, like I kind of would like, <laughs> I kind of would like that too. Yeah. I think that would be fascinating or really like any, I like this notion of him doing sort of big picture ideas, but mm-hmm. connect, the way he's a good connector of ideas. Yeah. So maybe even more than him talking about one idea at a time would be like, let's dive into this issue mm-hmm. and let him do his professor thing like Barack Obama in professor mode is so ideal of mm-hmm. and there's this thing and there's this other thing and like really put his polymath abilities on display it would be so fascinating yeah so anyway that's that's <clears throat> that's the one that came to mind for me immediately yeah. um let us know if you have a pick yes please fan cast your own Obama podcast and tell us what's on it <laughs> 
I mean, I guess I should say <laughs> the obvious one is Marilyn and Barack read the, the canon book by book. <gasps> they make a new canon of their own. New canon. Mm-hmm. It's called Canon Fodder with Barack and oh, Marilyn. Oh, Jeff. <clears throat> anyway, I need to. I think, I, that's, believe... I think that's why I had a frog in my throat because the universe was trying to keep me from saying that. <laughs> I believe that Barack Obama would make that kind of dad joke, and also that Marilyn Robinson would not stand for it. No, she'd walk out. That's it. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I'm having I'm having immuno I'm having immune system response to a really bad joke. <laughs> um, that's where I am right now. My own body rebels. Yeah, that's a no. It's mm-hmm. not called cannon fodder, but thanks yeah, for Yeah, af- I guess the one I'm afraid of, or not afraid of, but the one that you could see happening that I'm not excited about is celebrity surface-level interviews about, yeah. you know, whatever. I just don't think that that's what they would do. What's the Barack's reading list version of this podcast, where it's just interesting enough, but also not challenging? Because mm. this, this is also one of the Obama critiques, right? Is like smooth right. and... Um, I think heart is in the right place, but also kind of safe in, a, in another kind of way. You know, this is actually an author interview podcast I would listen to. Like the selections for his reading yeah. list are safe, but he's a thoughtful guy and a close reader. And some of those picks are about, there's always like one that's about at least a meaty mm-hmm. cultural issue. Like I would have Barack Obama interviewing the author of um, Tara Westover from who wrote educated, like, Yes. Or the two of them just talking about her book and what led up to it. Like I, that's like the only case in which I'm going to opt into listening to an author interview on a podcast is like Barack Obama thoughtfully asking questions of a person whose book he read. I can see a version of that that I would be excited about. I could also see a version of that that I wouldn't be excited about. That's more like NPR-ish. Yeah. I don't know. I don't mean, I I would hope for the former, but I'd be afraid of the latter. That's making me sort of think about like perhaps the biggest challenge and the most interesting thing to see how it develops about all of this is that like the Obamas play it a little safe and they do keep things a little close and podcasting by virtue of the fact that it's your voice going into people's ears, like is a more intimate experience and hosting a podcast, I think feels like certainly to me feels more vulnerable than like writing a post on a site ever did yeah, like right. speaking with your own it's more intimate it's more it is like it's more vulnerable it's more intimate and like for it to really work mm-hmm. well i think hosts just in general have to you have to be a certain level of open um listeners respond to a certain level of openness and so right. it will if they go to that place um in the in the sort of this new part of their lives if they go to that place of openness it will be amazing or it really could yeah. be amazing if they keep it a little closer um, it might be boring or dry, um, mm-hmm. but and what they do as so in their roles of like guiding the development of other series there, I think will be interesting. I'm sure they're not short on ideas. No, um, maybe they. I mean, I'm sure Spotify would give them a deal without even knowing exactly what they're going to get. <laughs> right? Like this yeah. is you know we're going to make a deal. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Let's uh, let's uh, think about it. All right. Speaking of something else that's cool, this podcast is about finding out what's new, cool, and worth talking about. Don't you love it when a sponsor knows the show? <laughs> and nothing great. fits that description more than Book of the Month. Unlike other subscriptions, Book of the Month lets you choose. You don't just get a random book in the mail. They find five of the best new releases, and you get to pick the one or two or three that you want. There's always a variety of genres, from thrillers to historical fiction to highbrow literary reads. So there's something for everyone. Plus, if you go to, book, if you go to bookofthemonth.com today, 
and sign up with the code RIOT, you get your first book for just five bucks. That's cheaper than uh, a new book you're buying. Well, other places, let's put it that way. It's a really great way to get some choice, but also a little curation. Like they bound, they bound the world for you and say, here's, here's five we think you're going to like, but any one of those you're going to pick on a given month, you're going to be fine with. So it's like going to a restaurant that doesn't have like the whole diner menu where there's like a billion things, like walking into a huge bookstore and like, okay, great, I'm just in the jungle here. Like, you know what, here, here, let, let me, let, let's have the wine, uh, the sommelier pick a few things and you pick among them. That's what they're doing for you here at Book of the Month. Really smart company, really great product. Gets new books in your hands without having to be at sea all the time. That's Book of the Month. Use offer code RIOT. Get your first book for five bucks. There'll be a link in the show notes too. Now, is this, look, does anyone care about this? (laughs) Like, I stumbled across this sort of randomly um, I was, this is a news story on variety. I, I, and I was the first one to publish it in their contributor slack about news, which I am usually not the first one to do. Oh, look, the ads on this page are for sorry for your loss. That Facebook show that's executive produced by a friend of the site, Kit Stein Kellner. Anyway, that's a separate issue. Go check out sorry for your loss on Facebook. It's really good. Um, NBC, NBC mm-hmm. is a production commitment to a Robert Langdon drama series based on the Dan Brown novel, The Lost Symbol, which luckily for me, I've read long enough ago that I've completely forgotten. So it's all going to be a surprise to me. It's the worst one. It is the worst one. On the other hand, they don't have to stick to it. It's if it's going to be a series. That's true. It follows the early adventures of Harvard symbologist, which is not a thing, by the way, just so we all remember that, <laughs> Robert Langdon. So we're not going to get um, uh, America's dad, Tom Hanks. We're going to get a young... We're going to get uh, young Robert Langdon, so they're going to have to recast that. Mm-hmm. Um, pulled into a series of deadly puzzles when his mentor is kidnapped. The CIA forces him into a task force. We uncover, uh, to surprise to no one, a conspiracy. What? Uh, so there you go. Let's see. The Howard, Ron Howard and Brian Grazer, who have been the, the kind of the writer-producer team that brought us the Hanks Langdon movies. Mm-hmm. Um, Someone other than that's all we know. That's all. Yeah. Is that all we know? What I else? I think do we that's know? all we know. Okay, so I'm assuming that this is happening because no one wanted to make a movie of the lost symbol because the lost symbol is the worst Robert yeah. Langdon book. It, it could be that, but also Hanks, I think, has staked out the Langdon on the big screen, and yeah. they don't want to recast because I'm sure they're going to make an origin movie. I think we know that's going to happen. Yes. So yeah. I, I think this is the right venue for that. Yeah, and. I I don't know. I I mean, we both have such deep like and unironic love for yes. Dan Brown. Lest you that, wonder, this is not irony, and we're not no, even being ironical no. by saying it's not ironical. It's deep and unironic appreciation yeah. for Dan Brown, and I think for Tom Hanks in the role of Robert Langdon, like it's just kind of perfect. Um, I'm worried about anybody other than Dan Brown writing this character. Like, there's such a fine balance of like earnestness and wacky weird logic and the way that the puzzles play out in the books. I hope that Dan Brown is deeply involved in how all of this goes. Um, And I think for my own heart, I need it to be played by like a new unknown actor. It's really hard for me to imagine how to cast young. Yeah, almost certainly it's, I mean, it's going to be of course a much young, probably multiple decades younger. I don't remember in the, um, 
the expanded universe of uh, Robert Langdon, how old he is <laughs> in the lost symbol, but I would assume so. There's a chance, like, in terms of expected outcomes, there's several possible, well, there's more than several. I'm thinking several likely, several outcomes are more likely than others. One is, I think it's unlikely it captures the Hanks on screen, whatever that vibe is of the movies. Because mm-hmm. I actually think that's even a little bit different than a down, the Dan Brown ones. Like, the movies and books actually feel a little bit different to me. Yeah. There's a little sort of, I feel like the movies have a little bit of knowingness in how absurd they are. Like it's not quite mm-hmm. national level, national treasure, Nick Cage levels of we're mm-hmm. just doing stuff, but it's also not the, the earnestness of the books, which I think That's the books true. are more earnest than the movies. So yes. the question then, does it capture that tone that the, the movie gets or is it more or less earnest? Mm-hmm. My guess is that this might be a little bit darker. You could go a little bit darker than the, the, the movies and have it play well, like more of a thriller of the week. It connects and you get hooked on what the what's going to happen next. And one thing that Dan Brown is great at that a movie doesn't capture is the chapter ends and you have to immediately yep. go to the next chapter. Mm-hmm. Movie, you're just along and it's over. Whereas as a serialized thing, this makes a whole bunch of sense to me. Yeah. I would love to see this on like Netflix for that exact reason. If, if you <sighs> dropped me eight episodes of a Dan Brown series, yeah. I would watch all eight of them in one day. And NBC is owned by Universal, which I don't believe it even has any plans for its own streaming service. Like It's like the one giant media yeah. company that I don't think has plans for its own. So it doesn't – I don't think that this is going to be a broadcast network television thing, though Dan Brown, of all the major IP, is pretty PG. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's safe for – especially knowing like Law & Order Special Victim Units is way darker than anything that happens – in a Dan Brown book. So I don't think you have to have like Game of Thrones or Sopranos levels of like, you know, um, you know, mm-hmm. things you would give a warning for, right? you know, uh, yeah. that kind of stuff. So it, do, it is a nice fit in that regard. Um, yeah. But I'm not sure. Uh, I'm a little, I, I don't know. I'm a little concerned about like, there's a certain, like all the conspiracy stuff in these books is totally wacky, yeah. but there is a certain like level of tinfoil hatness that happens in them. Um, or like, remember when the Da Vinci Code came out and it was like such a huge deal and people yeah. really thought that Dan Brown was like trying to take down the Catholic church. And that, like, there was, there were all sorts of things like people's whole like senses of their religious underpinning was mm. shifting because of a Dan Brown novel um, that like we're in such a weird and troubling place with like fake news and conspiracy stuff in general that I hope that they don't take this show in the direction of like lowest common denominator, which is a thing that network television sometimes does. Um, That's fair. That's fair. I guess the other thing that's interesting, too, is that it's as a series, it doesn't say it's a limited series. So it's not like eight episodes covering the lost symbol. Mm -hmm. This is like the ongoing adventures of young Robert Langdon. So is it going to be puzzle of the week with a larger story built into it? Kind of like a la X-Files, right? Where Mm -hmm. there's like a meta story, but then there's also puzzle of the week things. Is it going to be very linear where we're going to try to figure this thing out and follow it all the way through? Um, I can see it going in any number of directions. Yeah. I'm going to be interested. I will definitely watch the first couple. When's the last time you signed up to watch emotionally a, a broadcast network drama? Oh. I can't think of the last one. I can't think of it. I can't either. Um, I guess, well, no. Did you watch Parenthood? That's probably There like, it is. That's the last one. Mm-hmm. NBC. Yeah, I haven't watched that yet. I watched but that. But that's the, that's the last example I can find. Yeah, um, Michelle was on the This Is Us train for a while, but then like the, the amount of crying was just like maybe a little more than you want. 
This is um, why I'm not like I have thought about watching Parenthood on Netflix for years now that it's all there, but I also mm-hmm. don't know that I need to cry that much. Parenthood's the last one. My my remaining my remaining broadcast network habit is I do Brooklyn Nine Nine, um, The Good Place. Whenever there's a good mm-hmm. place, and then as as my like really Friday night, I really don't want to care. I'm still watching Marvel's Agents of Shield on NBC. <laughs> Which I couldn't tell you what happened last week. <laughs> I just watch it. It's just your brain candy. It, yeah, yeah, I guess it's just it's it's just I enjoy it. I have attached the characters, but in terms of like what the stakes or plot are, mm, I, I, I couldn't <laughs> summarize it for you in a meaningful way. Yeah, so. I we do the good place. I think that might be it for Idea. network television in yeah. my house. Hmm. Yeah. So um, look for our new podcast series recapping the weekly installments of Robert Langdon's The Lost Symbol. I'm so here for that, Jeff. (laughs) I'm only halfway joking. (laughs) I don't know what we're going to do about this. If it was bingeable, like eight episodes, we would certainly binge it and then do a wrap-up episode, like Mm -hmm. a dedicated bonus Mm -hmm. one. I don't know how we're going to do... Because if it's it's like 22 episodes, it's like one of those deals. That's a lot. I don't know if I can do that. It's like NCIS Vatican. I just don't think I'm up for that. We could this. just build a Robert Langdon corner into this show, like just a segment every week about what happened on the lost yeah. symbol. Oh my God. NCIS Vatican is a wonderful idea. Someone should run with that. Do you have another sponsor? I feel sponsor? like the Vatican might make that hard. <laughs> Isn't that the point of Robert Langdon? That's true. Like, uh, what's his name? What's the guy that does the NCIS? What's that? Oh, Mark Harmon. Mm-hmm. Like special guest this week. Robert Langdon comes in to help Mark Harmon solve a Navy murder. <laughs> well, this is actually, you know, in the old days. So what we really need is for the Robert Langdon story to exist in the same universe <sighs> somehow as a bunch of other yes, like crime-related network series and Robert Langdon can have his own show, but also like hop in and out of those. What if Robert Langdon showed up in The Good Place? That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> Well, what was that? What was the TV show oh. that was Nathan Fillion was like a writer? Oh, Castle, oh, right? Yeah. Where he was like a writer who was a yeah. consultant. Yeah, Robert Langdon and Cheedy having an argument about moral philosophy is like a thing I would watch for seven hours. <laughs> Except that Langdon <laughs> doesn't know anything about moral philosophy. He's an art. He's a symbologist. It's just like this means this, and this is this, and this is the oh, he'd have universal opinions, symbol though. for feminist wheat or whatever. Like I don't know. He'd have um, ideas. It's time for potpourri. I, you know, I want to talk about this story because my kids and I have read the first couple of Pottermore books, mm. which are, I don't, I don't know what. It's like JK, JK like has a free hour sometimes. You know, I'm going to write a little bit of backstory about like where McGonagall came from. And we'll release on Pottermore like 10 pages of like McGonagall appendices. Um, and then <laughs> they have collected some of these into these little ebooks i think you can buy them as print books too but i bought the ebooks when they were on sale a couple weeks ago they're three bucks they're like they're like 70 pages long and my kids who are really into the harry potter movies right now love them because it is it's eu it's like if you want to know more about slughorn like here's who his parents were and here's how this happened do you want to know more about dragons do you want to know more about werewolves um and it is the harry potter encyclopedia that she's slowly writing like at some point i'm sure there'll be an omnibus thing but when we were talking about Amazon and how there hasn't been a breakout Amazon, like big author using Amazon exclusively mm-hmm. outside of Kaling and, and JK is in a completely different league than, than that. But I think I was remiss to mention this Pottermore thing 
that Rowling has, has got going in terms of the big author taking on like a self-publishing, self-controlled content distribution platform. And there's been some problems with her about like some of the political stuff. I'm not sure she's as nuanced as maybe people would like her to be, or maybe she should be. But in terms of the business strategy of she has the hottest, she has the hottest IP in the world, even now, I think. Oh, maybe yeah. Game of Thrones. I still think if a new season of Game of Thrones continuing that existing timeline came out versus a new Harry Potter, that timeline, I still think Harry wins. Um, that's my gut of it. Again, I haven't seen the Game of Thrones, blah, blah, blah. Let me know if I'm wrong. Podcastbookwrite.com. She has the hottest IP in the world and she has a distribution platform with it. And what she does are sort of these like really like scraps. I think it's very strange. I mean, I like it and we enjoy it. I just think it's really strange. And the news hook here is there's four more of these books that are coming out, collecting more of these, you know, it's like really it's, it's, it's Harry Potter annotated. Like that's what these things are. <laughs> it is. Um, which I guess is better than nothing. But I also think continue to be a strange use of this giant behemoth cultural thing. And this and is like, what it's being used for still. And like why do it this way rather than – the biggest question I have is like why do it this way rather than collect a bunch of these and put them together in a book that Scholastic publishes of like 25 Harry Potter appendices. Like the four yeah. that we're seeing here is like – you know, care of magical creatures, potions and herbology, charms and defense against the dark arts, um, Harry Potter, a journey through divination and astronomy. Like if each of these, I don't even know how long they are, but let's say they're novella length. They're like 65 pages. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So if you put four of them together, you have a nice regular length book or why not do like 10 of them together? And then it's the size of a a typical Harry Potter book in a like beautifully designed, beautifully illustrated, like collector's edition thing. Like that's, what's really curious to me about it. JK Rowling (laughs) clearly seems to be continuing to be attached to the universe and she doesn't hate money. And like, you can tell more of these stories and put them out, but like, why do it? Uh, Like she obviously doesn't need a big publishing deal. No, she's fine. Um, But why do it this way rather than take all of this additional matter, put it into a traditional book and publish it and like sure have ebook versions available, but you could sell more of them if you, if you sold them through Scholastic and people could buy them wherever books were sold. I don't, I don't understand the, why do four 60 page books? Yeah. Each one could have its own section I'd love to know the answer. It doesn't make any sense to me. I will buy these. We're going to buy and yeah, read and if, enjoy these. I just don't know. But that. like it could be does like it, the Does Harry, it matter? Maybe it doesn't matter, Rebecca. Maybe, maybe not, but I'm just, I, I just am so curious. Like it could be a 500 page book of like the Hogwarts curriculum and you could have a journey yeah. through charms and defense against the dark arts, a journey through potions, a journey through divination. Like she could still do all of these things. I just do not understand why she's doing them this way. Right. Um, And it's clearly a way to monetize the work that she's put on Pottermore to make it for people like me who are not going to go visit Pottermore every day or subscribe Mm. or do it, you know, get sorted into my wand class hat or whatever (laughs) I'm supposed to do over there. Um, But I will read these with my kids. Yeah, that's what everyone tells me. Um, But it is notable. There's still new stuff coming out. And look, I don't know what's going to happen. I feel like there are too many foreshocks here for eventually not to be a major new book, 
not just a fantastic screen screenplay. I'm I'm looking at when this Fantastic Beast trilogy is over, and the second one has been Savage, the movie. I don't think we talked about the show, and it was very bad. It was very mm-hmm. bad. And the third one is going to come out in a couple years. I my money, and I don't know if it's more like fifty percent or more. I'm just saying my money is on whatever odds I can get for another novel in the Wizarding world coming out. You know, before my kids graduate from high school. That's okay. not that's that's not really going on on a limb, but it sort of is at the same time. Because um, it's been what? It's been at least eight years. Because like the site, did the site exist when the last book came out? I don't think so. No, because um, the, I the still site to being book right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you still worked at Barnes, so clearly <laughs> mm-hmm. it couldn't have been. So you know, it's been eight years, uh, if not longer. Was it two thousand eight? Something like that. I can't. Boy, I can't remember now. Um, but I, I feel like there's just too much smoke here. There's a, there's a burning, smoldering interest in her part to continue in this world. And clearly the Fantastic Beast was a way to get at that. I'm, I, I wonder if you asked her now, I mean, the, between the Johnny Depp casting and the process and the sort of, let's call it lukewarm at best response to the second mm-hmm. movie, is she super glad she's doing these right now? Yeah. I would think maybe not. Yeah, I don't know. That's my and guess. The, the last book came out in July of 2007, so it's been 12 2007, years. 2007, 12 years. Yeah. Hmm. And we got The Cursed Child and all this other stuff. It's like everything but the book. Like she's tried everything but another book, which is so interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then other books that's just not this, The Casual Vacancy and The Galbraith stuff. Like just all the like, – it's like it's all the side dishes with no turkey at Thanksgiving dinner. And now my dream for the Obama podcast is that he gets people like this with like mysterious artistic choices and gets two drinks in them and then they tell him oh. all their secrets. Hmm. It's or like in, it's, it's maybe in, it's come on already with Barack Obama, where he brings George R. R. Martin on, and then J.K. Rowling, and then Patrick Rothfuss, and all the people we're waiting on, and he just either, like life coaches them. These are my two pitches. It's either in vino veritas oh, with Barack, I like that, yes, or as he famously said, according to several of the memoirs that I've read from his staffers about several things that. Cray. Oh, sorry. We have to bleep me. But mm. I would, I would listen to a weekly installment of something that Barack thinks is Cray, and him just being flabbergasted <laughs> by something and going off on like little just, rants about like right, I can't 50, believe this. This yeah, is so 50, weird. What are these guys thinking? Yeah, yeah, yeah that right. would be great. <sighs> let's give me hero of the week quickly, and then let's get out of here. I think I want to do hero of the week after all. Our that. hero of the week this week is Tara Libert. Uh, she is in Washington D.C. She's the co-founder and chief executive of the Free Minds Book Club and Writing Workshop. It's a Washington nonprofit that works to engage prisoners and repeat offenders with reading and expressing themselves hmm. through poetry and personal essays. It's basically a book club. Um, most of the members of the book club had never read a book cover to cover before they joined. Um, she offers this in the D.C. jail and in um, 56 different federal prisons, which through something that they call a long distance book club um, to engage folks with in, with the power of books and reading. They also do a meditation activity to de-stress. And sometimes there are other creative, fun activities, um, but a moment of connection around ideas and around stories um, there's a great interview with her in the Washington Post this week, and she says that um, what she wants people to know about the book club members is that 
prisoners are a forgotten population. We've talked about that on this show as access to books has been attempted to be limited in various prison systems. And her goal is to connect the community with those who are incarcerated because the prison system is a failure and that she wants people to understand that people who are in prison are exactly like all of us Mm. with the same hopes, fears, desires, and dreams. And um, that books can be a part of their rehabilitation and coming back into society and improving society. So hats off to you, Tara Libert. Um, you can read more about her in the Washington Post, but good hero of the week this week. Um, as uncouth it is to dovetail off a of hero of the week into self-promotion, if that kind of story is interesting to you, we did a two-part miniseries on reading in prisons on Annotated. Um, books behind bars, part one, part two, part one, we dove into the Washington state ban on books coming into prisons from outside entities. And then the second part, um, actually I didn't intend to do two, except that I interviewed a man named Chris Wilson, who was in jail and had been sentenced to life in jail for murder and turned his life around and eventually got his sentence modified to 16 years. And reading in jail was the catalyst for that happening. And that interview that I did for the first part, just about books and prisons, was so interesting to me and so moving to me that I kind of broke it out into its own mini episode where it's just extended um, talking with him about what it was like to read in jail, what he looked forward to, what books were the most meaningful to him. So those are annotated episodes, I think 24 and 25. I'll put links in the show notes there. Um, But a really moving, the most moving interview I've done for that show and probably the most moving interview I've done at all. He has his own book about his experience called The Master Plan, which if you liked Educated by Tara Westover, I think it's, I think Supplement does, does know, it doesn't, it's not fair to Master Plan, but a, a good double read to read them together. Both of them are about the transformative power of education, but the context and demographics and sociology is so radically different um, that I think reading them and thinking about them together is really meaningful and powerful. Um, so, if you're not interested in the annotated episode, I hope you might be interested in checking out the book because that, that's, I read it and was completely moved. And I still think about it um, to this day. That's our show. Rebecca, what do we want to ask people about? What do you think about Barnes & Noble? That's what we want. Yeah. Fancast um, your Obama Spotify podcast. Fan, fan, we got a lot of fancast your Obama. We want to know what you think about the Langdon stuff. And mm-hmm. there was something else at the end. I can't remember. That, well, you can email us whatever you want. Um, may not respond to everything. Still getting a little, oh, I forgot, follow back. Still getting a little bit of feedback about dedicated e-readers. I'd ask people about people who read comic, comics, what do you do? And I was, wasn't surprised. They're like, if I read comics, I can't do it on my Kindle, which you can't. Mm-hmm. It's, it's no good. But most of those people go to, they do physical comics. They don't, well, some have an iPad that they also use. Um, but the Kindle is a real blind, or the dedicated e-reader, I should say, but just basically Kindles at this point. The, there is no good solution. And, and, and people said also any larger format thing that requires illustrations or visual kinds of, like a, a good cookbook is not great on a Kindle if you're looking at pictures and sort of those, you know, style, all the things you might imagine. Like, like we said, if your primary reading is prose-heavy books, Kindle's pretty great. If you do meaningfully more than that, probably not going to be enough for you. That's all we're trying to say. That's all we're trying to say. But... That's our show. I'm going to be out next week. You'll have a guest of some kind. I'm not sure who. Ooh. Yeah, I guess we'll yeah. figure that out, won't we'll we? figure that out, huh? Yeah. All right. <laughs> Thanks, everyone, for listening. <laughs> have a good one.